it's good after uh, four weeks um, of listening to our intern um, preach, and I definitely enjoyed that, but it's good to be back in the pulpit. I've been very excited about this, and boy, after all that talk about physical exercise, I, you know, I thought, man, I gotta, we got to have something about like pizza and ice cream this week. <clears throat> But then I, then I sat down on Monday morning and looked what text it was going to be, and I, got, I said, you have got to be kidding, Lord. Fire on the earth, uh, division, family divided. But this is God's word for us today, the, the text assigned. And um, so this is the first time I preached on this text and had to dig through um, what God is telling us here. And, and we, there's, that's the blessing of, of getting into the word of God, isn't it? Um, listening to what God has to tell us there, and, and God challenges us, doesn't he? Um, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's nice to pick and choose and skip to the places that we want to go to, but um, I think we have to look at all of the scripture to see what God is saying. So, let's get into it. Luke chapter 12, 49 to 53. Do, do, were any of you outside on Tuesday night? I, w- I was at a child's soccer game. Tuesday night, you got to think back about, what is that, about four or five nights um, ago. Do you remember how cold it got on Tuesday night here? Were any, was anyone outside? I, I, if you went outside, you probably went back inside. It was cold outside on Tuesday night. Like, like uh, we just fast-forwarded, not right past probably October, into November. Um, it was extremely cold on Tuesday night. It's crazy. And then it has, has warmed up nicely again since then. But it got me thinking... Um, if that can help you picture being cold, I want you to imagine, it's nice and warm outside, but I want you to imagine being cold right now. I want you to imagine that you're outside on a very cold night. So you're out in the woods or you're out in the wild somewhere on a really cold night. And I'm not talking uh, this past Tuesday night cold. I'm talking, um, I'm talking snowy, wintry, wet cold. All right, so there's, there's snow around. Now we're in December, January, like that cold, all right? And, and you're wet, all right? And, and the sun, it's, the night, night is coming. The sun has just gone down, so it's getting even colder, all right? So we have winter cold temperatures. Are you imagining that? But here's the thing. You're wet. You're soaking wet. So you're just absolutely shivering to the bone. Are you, are you feeling it yet? Maybe it's hard to in this warm gym, but are, are, you, are you feeling being shivering cold? Okay, finally, so you're out there in the woods, it's dark, you're wet, it's cold. Finally, someone starts a fire. And, and it gives light, and it gives warmth. And the heat of that fire feels so good to your shivering body. And really, to the point, you can't get close enough to that fire. The fire is life-giving. But you don't touch that fire, do you? You don't actually put your foot in the fire. You don't put your hand in the fire because, I mean, this is one of the first lessons mom and dad taught you, right? That will burn you, okay? Because you also have to know that fire burns. Fire destroys. Fire consumes. You've seen uh, fire destroy homes. You've seen the forest fires in the news. You know what fire does. Fire consumes and destroys. So Jesus says, as our text opens up, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. 
fire does consume and destroy. When you put those logs on the campfire, it consumes and destroys them. When you take metal and put it into a fire, the fire consumes and destroys the impurities on that metal. And so a fire cleanses as it destroys. It purifies as it destroys. In, in 1665, um, the residents of London were dying uh, by the thousands each day from the bubonic plague. Rats and fleas had, had spread germs throughout the unsanitary conditions of that city and a third of the city of London died. The experts say that all of London would have died. But on September 6, 1666, the Great Fire of London uh, began burning and burned for five days. And by the time it was done, most of London had been reduced to ashes. After the, finally, after the fire finally stopped, though, the people discovered that it had killed, that most of the rats and fleas had been killed in the fire, and the Black Plague was halted. So that fire of London, um, it cleansed the city of the, the impurity that was killing its residents. So fire purifies and cleanses. But fire also draws us to itself. Okay? As, 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 while fire is consuming things and destroying things, while it is purifying things and cleansing things, it is also giving off light and warmth, drawing us to itself. Fire has this mighty power to make alive all that is connected to it, while at the same time destroy anything that is against it. Fire has this power. The fire that Jesus was coming to bring on this earth was a mighty power that would infiltrate human hearts with its warmth, with its light, with its, with its power, and, and bring to life. That fire that Jesus was bringing was the gospel. It was the light of the world, the gospel message, the good news. And that light of the world, that message would spread into the world. It would, it would melt cold human hearts. It would give them warmth and life, and at the same time, it would purify them by destroying the impurities. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to those disciples from Emmaus on Easter evening? And then afterwards, they said, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? John the Baptist said about Jesus earlier in his ministry, he says, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, Jesus was coming to bring fire on the earth. He would be sending the Holy Spirit into the hearts and lives of this people. He, he would be sending the Holy Spirit to bring this fire into the hearts and lives of people. That, that fire was the gospel of the kingdom of God. That fire was the message of life with God. A message that would spread into the world and bring warmth and life and light to cold, dead hearts. His fire, this fire Jesus was coming, burns and sometimes painfully removes those impurities from our lives. 
But for those who believe in him, this fire gives life and it brings joy. To those who do not believe in him, it burns and destroys. I want you to mark something and remember something today. Fire leaves nothing unchanged. Whether it has a good effect for you or a not so good effect, fire leaves nothing unchanged. So Jesus, it says, our text says, wants to, he, he wanted to fully kindle that fire by empowering his followers with the Holy Spirit and sending them out in the world. But before he could do that, there was something he had to undergo first, the text says. But I have a baptism to undergo. And how distressed I am until it is completed. Now this wasn't his literal baptism. He had already been baptized years earlier by John the Baptist. Okay? This baptism, remember baptism is a word means wash with water. So this baptism, this washing, was the cleansing work that Jesus was going to do on the cross. This, uh, he had already used the word baptism to describe the sufferings that would be poured out on him when he asked his disciples James and John, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? So Jesus already mentioned, he already called his suffering and dying on the cross a baptism. So this baptism that Jesus had yet to undergo was his suffering and death. But here's the thing, he wanted to do it. He wanted to go through with it. And yet he was distressed until it was completed. You know, how do you, you know, how many of us would look forward to suffering and dying on a cross? How many of us would look forward to carrying the sins of the world on our shoulders? He wanted to, he was looking forward to it. He, he, wanted, he wanted to get this kindled. He wanted to get this going, but he's distressed until it is completed. Um, it's hard, I think it's hard for us to imagine, but Jesus uses, throughout the scriptures, he uses, he uses it many times, one illustration um, that, that maybe the only illustration that can help us understand maybe what he's going through in a, in a little bit smaller way, but still. Um, he, he, he would compare it to his disciples, he would compare it to a woman giving birth. Uh, from John chapter 16, it says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So when the time comes for that woman to give birth, I mean, things can get pretty frightening for a while right? If you were a husband standing by her side, you better watch out, okay? You don't know what might come flying across the room, and you might think, you know, you're bigger and stronger and so forth, but if she grabs your hand, I mean, she has the ability to break every one of the bones in it. Um, It is a time of distress, isn't it? But in the midst of all that distress, of all that pain that goes with bringing a child into the world that us men have uh, no idea about, in the midst of all that distress, she feels love. She feels this longing to hold that baby to her heart. The joy that will come with bringing that child into the world. It's what gets her through. It's what she's looking forward to. It's what will make her forget all of the pain and anguish that she went through to get there. And that's the picture that Jesus uses to describe. He's looking forward 
to, to do this wonderful thing and how it's going to bring children into his family. But there's going to be a lot of anguish. And so he's distressed until it's completed. Why? Why is he even looking forward to going through all of that? Why? Because of his love for his father. And because of his love for us lost sinners. His death on the cross was a cleansing. It, it was a, a baptism, a, a washing, a cleansing of, of, of what? Of our sins. It was a cleansing of your sins and mine. All of our impurities, all of our impurities were heaped and piled on Jesus. And he went and he took them to the cross. And he was cleansed for us. He was baptized for us. At that cross, he cleaned them up. All of our impurities. He washed them there. And so now you and I are clean. That's the baptism that Jesus had to undergo. That's the thing that he had to do first before he could kindle this fire in the world and send his people out to spread it everywhere. A fire that leaves nothing unchanged. That's the cleansing. That's the core, the heart and core of the message that, it, that is in the middle of that cleansing fire. The baptism, the washing that Jesus did for you and I. Our sins. He was clean. But our sins were on him. Our impurities were on him. And he had to go get cleansed of those. He had to get those removed. You and I are clean. And Jesus went through all of that. All of that distress for you and me. Then the fire he spoke of would be kindled. Re remember how fire gives warmth and life. But at the same time, fire consumes and destroys. Remember how fire leaves nothing unchanged? Keep that thought in your head as we read his next words. He says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Wait a minute. We've done a lot of Christmases here. Didn't Isaiah say that Jesus came to be the... Uh, Prince of Peace? I thought that Jesus spent a lot of time telling his disciples things like, um, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And when he saw them on Easter evening, Peace be with you. I thought that when the angels announced Jesus' birth, they said, um, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men. Right? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Where is this peace on earth? I mean, who brings more peace than Jesus? What brings more peace than Jesus? Who unites people together in peace more than Jesus does? Really, think about it. Read the whole scriptures. What would normally happen if you took a guy like Saul? I'm talking about the Pharisee in the New Testament, the one that becomes Paul. What, what would normally happen if you took a guy like Saul, a uh, overzealous type A Pharisee who really was kind of going around spending his time murdering anyone associated with Jesus. So you take that guy and then you take um, a sorcerer named Simon. He's a sorcerer. So no doubt he's spending a lot of his time doing 
I don't know, some pretty dark things, some pretty questionable stuff. Then you take, um, you take a Roman jailer from Philippi. Okay, he's a blue-collar dude, probably a lot of rough edges. And then you take like an upper-middle-class, wealthy Jewish tax collector named Matthew. And then you take some fishermen from Galilee. And you put them all in the same room together. What would normally happen if you put all those guys in the same room together? They would probably kill each other. Without Jesus, they would kill each other. But with Jesus, brothers in Christ. I mean, how did we get all brought together here? This is about as odd a grouping as you're going to get. Just being honest. Without Jesus, we wouldn't be here together, would we? But with Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, my friends. Jesus brings people together in peace, doesn't he? I mean, nothing can bring peace between people like Jesus can. He brings peace. He brings peace to our hearts from sins forgiven. Romans 5.1 tells us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we may not always have earthly peace and friendship. Let me explain to you what Jesus meant when he said that he came to bring division. Okay, since, since God created the universe to be a certain way, and sin entered the world and messed everything up, but through the cleansing work of Jesus on the cross, God is going to reconcile all things it means that in order for God to reconcile all things, that first he has to appear to individual hearts, each and every one, to say, this is wrong. The way you are living is wrong. What you are doing, the things that you are chasing after, how you are living your life is wrong. And now some people are going to realize God is right. And they're going to repent. And then they're going to look to Jesus for life and reconciliation with God. But some are going to hear that and they're going to respond, I don't care. Leave me alone. And so division occurs because when God engages mankind, some of them are going to respond by saying, no, thank you. I don't want any part of that. So on one hand, the people who believe that God has reconciled them through Jesus are going to have some pretty strong convictions about sin, about grace, about holiness, and we're going to live our lives and we're going to speak a certain way because of that. But the people who do not believe in Jesus are also going to have some pretty strong convictions about how good they are. About how they're going to earn their way to heaven, if there is heaven. And about how uh, they can live as they please. So you're going to have divisions. <laughs> there will be divisions. Those who have decided that they don't want to do things God's way, they're going to be uncomfortable around you. Certainly you've experienced kickback when you have opened your mouth and, and testified to your faith. We all have experienced kickback at that. But sometimes just who you are will make others 
uncomfortable. Even if you haven't said anything yet. You can think of maybe some times that happen when... I, I, I can think of uh, the summer, passing out soccer camp flyers. Um, how many times did I see, you know, a smile on someone's face? Oh, soccer camp. And then the moment they figured out that it was connected to Jesus, kind of how quickly that smile would turn to a, to a frown. It's like as if they see the front of the soccer camp shirt. Oh, soccer camp. Oh, great. And then you walk by and they see Jesus loves you. And that turns, somehow, that turns their face to a frown. Like, how is that possible? Jesus loves you. You just ruined my day. Because they're uncomfortable around that. How many times have you, how, how many people have you seen um, instantly change their demeanor the moment you just mentioned something as simple as the fact that you go to church? Jesus brings divisions. It's a fact of life, and that's what he's talking about in our text. Jesus brings divisions. Even in families. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So if you have in-law issues, well, it's a biblical thing. (laughs) The fire of Jesus is going to bring warmth and life to some, while at the very same time, repel and destroy others, even people in the same family. Listen, either you love Jesus or you hate Jesus. And when you are on opposite sides of that fence, is going to be extremely difficult to see eye to eye with each other. And just because one person in a family believes in Jesus, that doesn't save a family. That doesn't mean that the rest of the people in that family believe in Jesus. Faith it becomes an individual thing. Either you have faith or you don't. So because one person believes doesn't mean the rest of the family believes. So let's just get rid of that misconception right away. So... Um, this division, then, that means can be right down the middle of a family. And I've, I've heard this said, and I think I agree with it, that these divisions in families can be one of the, maybe the most painful, the most difficult things, hardships, that Christians have to endure. And none of you, none of you are sitting here right now thinking, oh, what's he talking about? None of you are wondering what I'm talking about because it's happening right here. It's it's all around us. I I don't think there are many families in our entire congregation that don't have division somewhere in that family, whether it's right in the nuclear family or in the extended family. I think we all have divisions somewhere in our family. And so we know how difficult that is. Now that doesn't mean that you are constantly feuding and fighting around the clock all day long. It doesn't mean the moment you get back from work where you're like, all right, let's go, table. Let's, let's have this out about Jesus right now. It doesn't mean that's what you spend all your time doing. There might even be, your, your home might even be very outwardly peaceful. Everyone might get along just great. But there most certainly is division. And over time, 
That division is going to rear its ugly head. That division is going to, over time, create some difficulties and problems. That division is going to create resentment. And and as children get older, um, it is going to create challenges. And you know what we're talking about. We have wives here without husbands. We have parents here without kids. We have kids here without parents. So we, we know what we're talking about. And, and over time, as, let's say, as children get older, there will be, it will lead to arguments about um, spending time with kids. Are they coming to church with you or, or, or not going to church with me? Um, and as those children grow older, the, the, as they get closer to independence, um, there becomes more and more uncertainty about who do I follow? And as you are parenting, as you are being a child, and as you are working through those divisions in the family, um, guilt begins getting heaped up. Um, Am I pushing too hard? Am I not pushing too hard enough? And in your very own faith life, it can even bring uncertainty. The fire of Jesus is dividing you. The fire of Jesus is dividing... uh, Every family here, probably. The answer, the answer is not to remove the fire. The answer is to keep that fire burning until it has the same effect in their life that it has had in your life. Keep loving them. Keep sharing with them why you're loving them. Keep sharing Jesus with them. Keep inviting them to join you on Jesus' side. Keep applying the fire of God's word to their lives, showing them that the way they're living without God is not the best way to live. And keep letting them see the warmth of Jesus' love in your life. Remember, we've got to remember this, fire leaves nothing unchanged. Fire isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. There's a um, south, stretching south for hundreds of miles south of uh, Glacier National Park. There's this majestic mixture of uh, valleys and streams and mountains called the Bob Marshall Wilderness. And the forests covering those rugged mountain slopes are thick with lodgepole pine. I don't know if you've ever heard of lodgepole pine. These are uh, tough, hardy trees with cones so thick that only extreme heat can burst forth the seeds. Now over the years, uh, lightning strikes have caused all kinds of forest fires there. And of course the Forest Service has always fought furiously to put those fires out. But more recently, they've adopted the policy of managed fires because they've learned that those fires have a purpose. Without the fires... The seeds of the lodgepole pine will never be released. So without the fires, much of the underbrush and much of the plant life will never regenerate. The earth needs a fire cast on it or it will die. Jesus came to bring fire to this earth. He knew that we, that our hearts, are a wilderness that need a fire or else we will die. And that we need the the cleansing fire, first of all, 
of Jesus' work for us on the cross. We need the life-renewing fire of God's Word in our hearts. And we know how important that is for our lives. So we want also to have that for our loved ones, for those who are close to us. And so we keep applying the fire of God's Word to their hearts, to their lives, with the result we hope to achieve that it will burst forth those seeds. That the fire of God's love will also change their hearts and lives the same way that it's changed ours. Because not until our Savior appears as the Prince of Peace in the lives of our loved ones will that division in our families be over, finally. When, When our Savior does appear as the Prince of Peace, establishing peace between God and man in the lives of our loved ones, that is when that division will be over forever. So friends, this fire that Jesus brought on this earth, this cleansing fire that he did for us on the cross, purified us. It purified us completely. So what that means is this. You have, not, you have never committed a sin. You have not committed any sin that was more than Jesus' fire could purify. There's no wickedness in your heart that was too much for the cleansing fire of Jesus to clean You are clean. And that is why that moment was so brutal for him. Because all of our impurities were there. But nothing's left now here. We're clean because of him. Because of the fire of his love. And that alone, that and that alone, is where our real peace comes from. Amen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.